In today's episode of the Iman Wire podcast. When we talk about doing more, it's in relation to our time. Allah knows our circumstances. He knows how little blessing there is in time. He knows how hard it is for us just to have a career, just to maintain a family and everything else that is we need to do. Allah knows all of this. So a little bit in our time goes a long way. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Iman Wire podcast. Salim here with my co-host Irfan. Hey, Salaam Salim. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm exhausted. Exhausted. Long... That's, that, that's apropos, I think, to our topic. Today. Yeah, it's actually probably it's, we been, need, it's been a long day. We need energy. We need spiritual energy. <laughs> and here to help us with that is our beloved Sheikh, Sheikh Yahya Rodas. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Yahya. Alaikum salam wa And joining us uh, is uh, some of his family. Inshallah, they may come on the podcast. We'll see how, how they feel. He's a um, young man, the future of the Ummah. Right you guys want to say salam alaikum to the world? Alaikum. <laughs> the other one's like, nah, I'm good. That's enough. <laughs> so uh, uh, we're here today. Uh, it's actually, we're talking about something um, which is central to the, the life of a believer and which gives it ener- gives them energy, and that is dhikr, right? And um, we actually want to talk to you, Sheikh Yahya, really about a daily routine and, and, and you know the, the, the process of it. Um, establishing it, but really just sort of talk to you about, you know, what you do and what you do with your family. And I'll let um, Irfan chime in here as well. Yeah. So, you know, for me personally, it's like kind of interesting um, opportunity probably six or seven years ago, me, Matasim, and some of the brothers were talking about our lives. We obviously have a relationship with Sheikh Muslim and Sheikh Muslim used to give us guidance. And some of us had kind of come to this conclusion before and some of us had it. So we started doing like research and he was like, hey, why don't you say this? A hundred times. So, Subhanallah, he will be hamdihi. Subhanallah, al-Azim. These types of prophetic statements that he said to say either a hundred times or whatnot. So, you would do it in the time that you would do. So, when we were younger, you know, before the kids and all the hectic lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, you write, you could, you could light that oud and you could like sit nicely and you would have this quiet moment. And then, obviously, after that, reality is is dashed away. Very different. (laughs) Very different. You got like you know formula all over your your shirt. (laughs) You know, it's like. So I wanted to ask you your advice on how, if we take it to the spiritual level, going back to vicar. I think a lot of people out there have aspirations. We all have a bowl of like prayer beads, but people may not think that these are actual tools that we can utilize on a daily basis. That shouldn't be just sitting there during certain times or when we have gatherings. But really, um, to activate spirituality on a daily yeah. grind, you know. Sure. So, Bismillah. Um, I always like to set the frame properly when we get into discussions like these, and I think this is a classic example of how practical our deen really is, and how relevant our deen really is. And as we say regularly, this whole notion that somehow Islam is not relevant to our daily lives is really utterly ridiculous. If you just think about the five daily prayers, which we're talking about routine, we're talking about weird, there is no greater weird than the five daily prayers. Think about the skills that you get, the traits that you develop as a result of praying consistently for five times a day, every single day of your life. Think about how that will help you in every aspect of your life, maintaining a job, paying your bills, dealing with relationships, and so forth and so on. And so I think... It's amazing how much practical guidance we have in the Sunnah of our Prophet. They relate to all of these matters. And I think 
if we don't conceive of it as such, we have to first and foremost set the frame properly so that we can understand we don't necessarily need to go out and buy one of these self-help books or a book that is on the verge of being almost like pseudo-spirituality and extract meanings from it and Islamicize them. We have so many of them within our deen. And so that's really like where I like to always start. And from there, we just realized from the very beginning, routine is essential. And there are so many different aspects of our deen that teach us the importance of routine, that teach us of the importance of how to relate to time, how to relate to the natural movements of the sun, of the moon. Think about the month of Ramadan. How do we determine that enters? It's the moon. Think about the five daily prayers. How do we determine that? It is the sun. And in traditional societies, and increasingly with artificial light, this is becoming more and more difficult. But people's lives were regulated with the movements of the sun. And naturally, because of there not being enough light, they would then calm down, there would be a little bit more stillness and so forth and so on. So I think there's, it's, we have such a vast, incredible reservoir of wisdom that we can benefit from and off the world. I think this really is, is the starting point for me is to really appreciate that and understand this incredible reservoir that we have as believers. And then we can start getting down to what are the uh, specifics of what it is that we do and we don't do. Yeah, you know, I think that's the right way to think about it. The framework is important. I mean, I think a lot of times you think about it, your daily uh, life, you have about 12 hours, you know, if you really are yeah, that type of person who's awake that late. But if you think about the time that you're sleeping, the time you need to wake up, that you're going to work, you, you, you add those times, you actually have very limited hours to yourself or time to yourself. And so do you think, I think oftentimes we fall into this maybe romanticism, like I mentioned before, that maybe there's those opportunities that we may not be utilizing that are really prime opportunities for spiritual, you know, upliftment. I mean, you're talking about time that people spend in commutes where a community, especially in America, that is oftentimes found in their car more than probably uh, in their home. Uh, so you have people having long commutes, uh, but yet at the same time consuming a lot of different types of content, but may not be thinking, hey, I can actually get all of these prophetic du'as, all of these prophetic thickers done in this time and not necessarily have to take away that time when I'm at home, need to have FaceTime with my family, need to have conversations with, with my children, with my wife, you know, or, you know, even thinking about it from a perspective, once all of that is done at the end of the night, I need to at least have 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it can be spared just to be alone with Allah and myself. Sure. I think um, you, uh, absolutely, I think we have um, a, a conception of our deen that helps us in, in all of these in, in all of these circumstances that we find ourselves in. And one of the things that I understand that you're saying, which we all face in the modern world, there is so much that it is that we are doing on a daily basis. There's so many different things that we have to do in one day in the work schedules, in the commutes, in the family obligations, all these other things. It's overwhelming. And I think it's what's really important for us is to recognize, despite all of that, yes, absolutely, there are things that we can do. There are times that we can do certain things, but we have to get over thinking that it's all or nothing. Usually people are fully engaged or they're fully disengaged. The nafs, and you, is, if we're going to talk about routine, we have to talk about characteristics of the nafs. The nafs either wants all of something or doesn't want anything to do with anything. It's very hard for the nafs when it, wa it wants something, but it can't receive exactly what it is that it wants to do what it can. 
that requires spiritual training. And what's key is, and this is, again, this is a principle of the Sunnah, which is a classic example, the famous hadith of Rasulullah that we've all heard from the time that we're young, the best of all actions are the most consistent, even if they are few. And you would be surprised if you spent just a little bit of time, one minute when you wake up, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, five minutes before you go to bed at night, 30 seconds when you first get into your car, and you pray your five daily prayers, and maybe add a few things here and there, and increase that a little bit on the day of Juma, and give Ramadan a little bit that more of an increase as well, you would have everything that you need in that small amount of time that I was mentioned to not only sustain your faith, but to allow, cause it to grow. It's interesting, Sheikh, because, you know, what you said, that this is like a nefsani thing, that it's all or nothing, because usually that's how most people in their personal development are trying to, um, they just dive into something, you know, it could be like New Year's resolutions and trying to like exercise or it could be anything, and they dive into it fully, and then almost all the time, probably 100%, 99% of the time, you can't sustain it, and then you, um, it just falls apart, and actually you feel worse. It's again that, that, that um, the harmful effects of the nafs, because actually the nafs is destroying you by doing bad, by having that characteristic of sure. wanting you to like completely go all in on something you're not ready for, because that ultimately knows it's going to destroy you. The nafs hates routine. Right. The nafs hates routine. Routine. Why is it more difficult for us to pray obligatory prayers as opposed to supergatory prayers? If you know you have to pray one month of qada prayers, how heavy mm. that is, even if it's the same amount of what you would otherwise be praying as nafida prayers, why is it so much heavier on you? Because it's imposed upon you, you have to do it. Why is nafida so much lighter? Because it's not an imposition upon you. So there is no conversation of routine without a in-depth understanding of the dust. The nafs is like the hawa. It's volatile. It wants to do what it wants to do, when it wants to do it, how it wants to do it. It doesn't like routine. And so this is another example of how we can approach the topics of routine and time management and all of these other things from our own unique perspective, which this is what's missing a lot of these self-help books. This is what's miss, miss, missing a lot of these modern books, a detailed knowledge of the ego, of the nafs and the way that it works and how it relates to hawa and so forth and so on. So we, we have so much there in, in our tradition. And if I now start to fill in some of those details. I just mentioned a very short period of time throughout the day. So let's just first establish, as we've already mentioned, that the greatest weird of all, the greatest routine we can establish of all is the routine of the five daily prayers. And ideally, we will make our day revolve around the five daily prayers. The decisions we make when we take breaks, when we go on lunch, when we leave somewhere or go out somewhere, whether we are at work or with our family or whether we are alone. We want to make the decisions we make about when we leave, when we go, to the extent possible, revolve around the five daily prayers. A believer's internal clock should tick according to when it is that they need to pray for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So after that, that first minute once you wake up in the morning, this is a minute of doing a few things. One, thanking Allah ta'ala, reciting the dua that our Prophet taught us when you wake up. Secondly, making intention to spend your entire day in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Making your intention to 
avoid all wrong, and to do every possible good action that you can do. And then, bringing to heart trust in Allah to help you through everything that is that you're going to do that day. And then if you have time, recite in the last verses in Surah Ali Imran, which is the Sunnah of our Prophet That's enough. And that can take, that takes, if you add the verses, might be a little bit longer, one minute. And then, the only other thing that I forgot to mention are the Ad'iyat al-Ahwal, the different prayers that you say, supplications, uh, when you do various things throughout the day. But that's happening so quickly, you don't even need to allot time for right. that. Because you're doing the thing, you just make the intention when you wear your clothes, that when you leave the house, when you get into your car, and so forth and so on. Ten minutes in the morning, I would look at the Adhkar of Imam Nawawi, choose what you can recite from the prophetic du'as of the morning and the evening. Why did our Prophet teach us to say these in the morning and the evening? Precisely because he realizes, sallallahu these are times that we can do consistent works in. And there are narrations that indicate if you give a little bit of a day in the morning and in the evening to Allah Ta'ala, he will suffice you what happens between them. There are a number of hadith like this, praying in congregation, Fajr and in Isha, and the protection that comes from Fajr until, uh, from Isha until Fajr, and then from Fajr until the next Isha. We have so many mechanisms like this in the Sharia. If you don't want to choose them yourself from the Adhkar of Imam Nawi, you can recite a beautiful compilation like that of the Weird Little Thief of Imam al-Haddad, which will take you about 10 to 11 minutes once you get used to reciting it. And then... 10 minutes in the evening. You do those same supplications you did in the morning. You do them in the evening. Five minutes before bed, this is where you do a few other things. This is a time of repentance. This is a time of reflecting upon your mortality. Death. You're going to return to Allah Ta'ala. This is a time of muraqabah and muhasabah. Bringing to mind that Allah Ta'ala sees you and taking yourself to account for everything that happened during the day. And this is also a time to show gratitude to Allah and list as many blessings as you can. All of that you can do in five minutes. Five minutes. And if you're consistent in these things, day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out, yes, there's a long list of other things that I could add, a word of Quran, a word of Sarawat upon the Prophet but we want to start with something that everybody can do. What I mentioned, I don't care how busy you are, even someone told me one time, they had a 120-hour work week. I don't know how that's even possible. But let's say that that actually was the case. Even that person can do this. Everybody, what I just mentioned, everybody can do. And it's a starting point. And if you add to that, obviously you're going to be praying Salat to Jummah. You're going to be giving Jummah a little bit more. And you may double those times or whatever else we can that can be discussed later. And then you're doing what happens on a yearly basis, i.e. giving Ramadan. It's right. You'll be fine. It's sufficient to return to Allah safely. It will sustain your faith and even be a means to grow it. And then when you start adding to it, if you want to become beloved to Allah, that's something else. And let's always remember that hadith Qudsi. And my servant will continue to do recommended acts, supragatory acts, hatta hibba. So if you want to be, become beloved to Allah, you have to do a little bit more. But the last thing that I will say here in this conversation when we talk about doing more, it's in relation to our time. Allah knows our circumstances. He knows how little blessing there is in time. He knows how hard it is for us just to have a career, just to maintain a family and everything else that is we need to do. Allah knows all of this. So a little bit in our time 
goes a long way. One of the most amazing hadithim is the hadith that our Prophet said, وسلم, whoever says when he enters into a suq, which is a marketplace, which think now how this applies to so you, you could say this when you drive down the street. You could say this at the corner store that you go to in the strip mall or whatever it is that you where the, that you're you know going to buy your groceries or whatever else online. It's a marketplace. You could implement this dua all over the place, which is a whole other nuance. But our Prophet said, whoever says he will receive elf elf hasana, one million good deeds. They will be removed from him elf elf sayya, one million bad deeds, and he will be raised elf elf daraja, one million degrees, all by just saying that blessed supplication. So my point is, it's not about quantity. We live in a time where there is people think that quantity reigns over quality. No. In those moments, the only prerequisite is to be present with Allah and be consistent. And it will change your life, guaranteed. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's an important point about the quality, Shaykh, because I think a lot of times when we, um, you know, with the best intentions are trying to complete a weird or a complete some sort of litany of, of dua, we get caught up in some of the mechanics and like, you know, like I have to do such and such a number. And these are, these are important, they're valuable, but like you can't, you know, lose the forest for the trees and again, consider just the quantity rather than the quality. There's a Sheikh Harawi, um, Al-Ansari from Herat. He has this great saying, I think it's in his manzil, uh, in his manzil saying, mashallah. And it says that what has been lost can be amended, it can be fixed. And what you have left can still flourish. So if you get if you get so fixated on what you weren't able to do perfectly or weren't able to do right, that from a degree perspective and moving on in your spirituality, you can't fixate so much on that because you have so much more to go. And okay, you you made a mistake. And I I think like a lot of times it's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a former Marine, very disciplined, and he's one of those guys at five a.m. And I asked him what was the impetus for it. And he's like, you know, obviously he was in that. A mentality for a while, got got out of that mentality, had a family, had kids, and then, you know, eventually realized that there's something about those early hours that's yours. You don't have obligations to any other creature. And he's like, it's in that moment where he, for himself, that's the time for prayer. That's the time to do all those kind of those meditative acts, but also the time then to get out there, do his physical thing and not feel like you're taking any obligation away. I think one of the other issues that comes up in today's world is that People are overly obligated. So we have obligations towards our career. We have obligations towards our family. We have obligations towards our community. And sometimes people feel like, well, where's my thing that I'm doing by myself? And I think maybe if people understood the value of the dhikr, they would realize they would get so much more out of it from a psychological perspective because there is this idea that sure. I'm taking own, ownership of my time. And this is yeah. my autonomy at that point. Yeah. Here. So. Um. On that first point that you mentioned, which just to speak to that, which I think is important because, again, this is at the level of conception. The idea of the importance of the moment. If you look at the seven people that Allah Ta'ala will shade on the Yom Al-Qiyamah, the day that there's no shade except His shade. Some of the categories that are mentioned relate to ongoing acts. So the young man who grew up in the state of obedience, that was continuous. But then you have others that relate to a single incident. So the, the person that is called to a 
woman of beauty and status, and then says that I fear Allah. That's one instant. But it leads to being shaded under the, the, the shade of the throne on Yom Al-Qiyamah. The one who goes into seclusion and that a tear drops from the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's, how long does that take? That's, a, that's one instance. And it leads to being shaded under the throne, of the shade of the throne. So meaning, subhanAllah, we can never underestimate the power of a moment. And in those 10 minutes, or in that minute, or in those 5 minutes, or whatever they turn out to be for the person, the key is to be present. And when your heart is in the right spot, and you have the requisite feelings and traits and, and conceptions in the, your heart, subhanAllah, those moments go a long, long way. And they're extremely heavy in the scales. And as the scholars of this science have always said, the inward acts are significantly more heavy in the scales than the any outward act that is that we can do. So just feeling broken before Allah, which is another one of the great traits you can do in that five minutes before you go to bed. You feel broken before Allah. Absolutely broken. That is weighty in the scales. That will help you immensely and throughout throughout your life. And I think you know, dovetailing off of that idea, exactly as you mentioned, we have to realize the importance of dhikr. And one of the things that, that came to mind, if you look at the two meanings of dhikr, the two primary meanings, one refers to remembrance in general, and then the other refers to actual invocation. So, remembrance of what? Remembrance of your purpose in life. Wenhu, uh, indeed, it is a reminder for you and your people, i.e. the Qur'an. A reminder of what? The pre-earthly covenant that we all took, the purpose of life, and what we are returning to. So in general, the Qur'an is a reminder. So reminding us, remembering what is important. But then this is where it meets with that, that actual moment of invocation, where you are actually remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It helps connect you to that overarching meaning of dhikr, which is about the purpose of where we came from, where we're going to, and what is the purpose while we're here. And um, it, th there is no spiritual life without dhikr. And as one of them said, Whoever doesn't have a weird is a monkey. <laughs> so on that humorous humorous tip, I wanted to ask you if you could walk us through maybe like a daily life before that if, before we get to that okay, question yeah, you know yeah. I have just one follow up question to Sheikh about you know what about um, you know we, we want to get that feeling um, you know it's, it's like a human desire that you want to feel have a feeling of connection and even in the spiritual realm you want to feel like you know everyone at some point have that feels that moment themselves subjectively they feel like this moment of connection when they when that tear comes uh, remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, undoubtedly that person is feeling something at that moment that they can understand that they feel this connection for the a tear to be shed what of you know should i should i do the weird if i don't feel it should i like should i still practice my weird if i'm not feeling something subjectively in my heart um, and i think that's a lot of challenge that i think a lot of us feel in, in whether it's the obligatory actions or the supererogatory actions, um, is uh, is is dealing with that with that desire that you want to feel something, but you're not feeling something at that moment. What did 
what would your suggestions be for that? Absolutely. I think that's a very important point. And my suggestion would be the following. That is our motivation behind our worship should be worshiping Allah Ta'ala because he deserves to be worshipped. And this is really important. And even though it's a lofty state to attain, I've spoken to many people that have become very confused because of precisely what it is that you are saying. Because they were looking for experiences in their worship. They were looking for experiences in their trip to Umar or to Hajj. Where in their mind it was almost like, if I don't have this experience when I go to Umrah, when I go to Hajj, oh, you might, I might just give up or whatever. Or something wrong with me or you know, there's no use to of even doing this. We've all probably spoken to people that have spoken like this. Where that's, a, that's a, an incorrect understanding. You never know. There could be a moment because of the spiritual struggle you put into that moment. You're fighting a whole bunch of things. Let's keep it real. In those 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 1 minute, 5 minutes, we're battling different thoughts of coming to our heart, what we have to do, what we have to do at work, and what we have to buy for the family, and all these other types of things, problems that we're experiencing. We're battling to be present. So even if you don't feel anything, the key is to do what it is that you're supposed to do, and you never know. That moment where you're struggling to be present, even though you're not feeling it the way that you might feel it at a later time of your life or felt it at a previous time in your life, could be much heavier in the scales than those moments where you're actually feeling it. We don't know. The knowledge is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the key here is to ask ourselves even more fundamentally, why are we doing the Why are we doing everything that is that we do? It ultimately is to attain the pleasure of Allah. It is ultimately to draw near to Allah. So we don't know. And I think if we approach things as such, this helps us in a number of ways. But then the quality of our worship won't diminish based upon the way that we feel. And this is key. All of us, when we do wrong, when we fall short, when we get lazy, when we develop bad habits, when it comes to worship, it taints our worship. Where we can never let those things taint our worship. Are we worshiping ourselves or are we worshiping Allah? Even if I just committed a sin 10 minutes before and you're feeling bad about it, that's important for Tawbah, yes. But when it comes up to prayer, who are you worshiping? You're worshiping Allah. Whether you are good or whether you are bad, when it comes to that moment of worship, we should have the same level of spiritual aspiration because you're worshiping Allah. Now, that's not easy to do, but I think if we can strive towards that, it's a protection. And there's no doubt these feelings are fruits, they're gifts that come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but they're not sought for in of themselves and this is why we have to have knowledge combined with a treading of the spiritual path, one of them um, they actually say at a certain point well one of the righteous said I, for 20 years I forced myself to pray at night and then for 20 years I enjoyed it but then people tend to forget that they don't mention what happens at the very end with many of the great uh, Allah Ta'ala takes the pleasure of worship from them after having given it to them to test them. Are you worshiping for the pleasure or are you worshiping because Allah Ta'ala deserves to be worshipped? We don't worship Allah for the pleasure. We don't worship Allah for a feeling or for a state. We worship Him because He deserves to be worshipped. And then if He gives that to us, khair. if He doesn't give it to us, we keep worshipping. And if He gives it to us at times and doesn't give it to us at other times, we remain consistent and meet Allah with that. As for the next world, 
that's very different. That's just going to be bliss, everlasting bliss. In this world, you're always going to be fluctuating. All right, so I think to kind of end this up, I know me and, me and Yahya were talking about this earlier, and I know we have his boys with us, so we were talking about methods for waking for Fudger. and be started off our day. <laughs> so the rumor is gun. there might be a water gun involved. Uh-oh. So I wanted Uh-oh. to get your take on. Abu Bakr, uh, what's, what's the method for waking up for Sultan and Fudger? So first he comes in, and then he does it, like, softly. And then he'd go back and, like, make wudu. And then he'd come back, and then he'd kind of do it firmly. <laughs> and then kinda. he'd go back, pray sunnas. And if we're still not wake up, he has the water gun. And then, <laughs> and then that's when we just wake up because he knows he's going to shoot us. It's the modern application of sprinkling the water, right? Inshallah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after you do the fajr, you've done the prayer, you've, uh, and you've done the sunnas beforehand. I imagine there's some time there that's allocated for the adya and the adhkar of the Prophet during that respective time. And I think people, there's a lot of resources there. One of my favorite resources is a new translation, I believe, Imam Sayyulti's work, which is a recension of uh, of a work by Ibn Taymiyyah, mm-hmm. which is called the Amal, uh, al, um, al, in, in for the, the, the work for the day and night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's interesting uh, the idea of work and I think people should realize if you put the work in mm-hmm. you may not always enjoy it you may not always be the best experience but you get in on a consistent basis you're building bricks there you're building Absolutely. opportunities for yourself so what, as you get into the noon though I think this is where maybe there's this period of, of time where maybe people don't feel it because they're at work and that kind of thing what could you give as advice maybe for people who may be struggling to kind of maintain a spirituality as they get through uh, that period before Dhuhr, maybe a little bit after Dhuhr into Asr. I think this is where we have the blessing of the of the Duha prayer. Right. I would recommend in the ideal, at least in the Shafi school time, to pray the Duha prayer is in the mid-morning period, meaning from uh, the sunset until uh, Dhuhr. So roughly around 9 o'clock, roughly, or 8 to 9.30ish. And so all of us are going to be at work. It could be when we first arrive to work or it could be uh, when we take a break at work. And even if it's not done in that time, if you postpone a little bit, it's still considered Salat al-Duha. So I would say after you get to work or you've been working at home or whatever it is that you're doing, you take a break. Salat al-Duha takes a few minutes. And that's a perfect example of a sunnah of the Prophet that you can do consistently, very practical. And you just have to be in a state of wudu. You face a cup, you pray, salat uh, al And then you might want to add 30 seconds of du'as that you make after that for your children, for your family, for other people that are in need or something like that. Some other thing that you add to that. Maybe you add 100 salawat upon the Prophet, something of that nature. But I think that's a great example of something that you intersperse in your day between the beginning of your work day and then salat al And then the next thing that you want to plan is salat al and first and foremost, we should be thinking about how to pray Salat al-Dhuhr in a quality manner. Meaning, ideally in congregation, if possible. I know sometimes at work it's not possible. But, you know, you all here where you live here, you probably have tons of Muslims employees in, in where you work. Right, theoretically, and, there's a, yeah, they're there. And uh, <laughs> theoretically, <laughs> if you can find someone to pray in congregation with, right. it's better. Yeah, so you pray in congregation if you can add two sunnah before that and after that. 
So that lunch break, part of it becomes your prayer. Now, anything that you can do, maybe you just like to eat out. If you make that sacrifice and you can't get back in normally the amount of time that's allotted for you to take your lunch break, but you find other ways to save time so that you can do these things, this is where when you invest in these in this work, this type of work, religious work, there's going to be a great return. But it's up to the individual. At least, though, you want to set time to pray Salat al-Dhuhr, ideally where you're not rushed. Yeah. Because some of us are do everything else and then... Oh my God, I got to pray. I got a meeting at three o'clock and it's 2.57. Yeah. And you rush. Yeah, rush that. And that's not ideal. So I would say you want to think about Salat al-Dhuhr most importantly. And if you only have time to pray for Rakaas, try to do it unrushed. That's like the bare minimum. And if you can add to that, doing sunnahs before and after the in congregation, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I feel like the sunnahs are there's some more sunnahs before dhuhr for precisely for that reason because it's like it's like the middle of this busy day and you need that sort of warm up and cool down. But and, I will tell you, almost, okay, so I had like a situation where at my current office, the most of my office is mashallah, like in my whole career, no matter where I've ever worked, something has worked out whether it be a prayer place right there. So I worked at a company. To this day, I have no idea how this happened. Uh, I get an email saying there's a prayer space available. It's a corner office. They fired some executive and they gave it. So I show up, maybe two other Muslims show up, and I'm like, well, you know, did you do this? And it wasn't me. It wasn't me. How did they know who we are? And there was prayer rug set up. They had a uh, printout of the Kaaba to tell us where the Qibla was. It was nice. So these have always happened. Even on a military base, I had a chaplain who gave us literally the second floor of the whole chapel. We'd have prayer rugs. We had Qurans brought in. Everything's great. And then I moved to this current place where I work in. It's not. Uh, there's this low conference room, no spaces. It's difficult to find a place to go. Stairwells are kind of cramped and often used. And so there was another Muslim, and I, he asked me what I did. And I said, well, there's a mosque not too far away. And I go and I, you know, during my lunch break, and I make my prayer. So then uh, he, he was working for me. And I think out of that, maybe there was a little bit of <laughs> maybe overusage of that. So he would add on his lunch. You know, like, over like, oh, Yo, my guy, you got to like come back at a certain time. You can't be showing back after lunch at 2.30. You left at like 12. So there tends to be this other side of the house where I think it's also like where Muslims sometimes have to balance these requirements and at the same time be mindful of how others may look at those requirements when they're in public spaces and asking for their rights and maybe performing their, their own prayer rights, but also being mindful of like, you know, you are you have to be responsible when you do these things. You have a lunch hour or you have a 30 minute lunch or whatever the case may be. You should be mindful of that. Yeah, that is your time to do what you need to do. And if you need a place, you should be able to ask for a place to pray. But you have to take it within the time and not abuse it because you have people behind you that are coming. This is a, this yeah. is also an announcement to all the masajid that when you do your Jummah prayer, like this is affecting a lot of the people who come for Jummah prayer because yeah. if you don't keep it on time. And it's a constant, it's a constant problem. Then this is affecting a lot of people's. This is a shout out know, to Beitha Mukarram Mosque, who I love. Two thirty Juma prayer, finish sharp. You know, it's amazing. Like, they do, they do a two thirty Juma prayer, which is amazing to me. And I'm out of there, back on my desk by three o'clock. I was like, this, this place is amazing. But like, you know, this mindful of that, and they're offering, offering opportunities no, we, for people because, again, everything's interrelated. Yeah, being on time. Yeah, is a part of the religion. You wouldn't being, know that from me. Being <laughs> truthful to right. your commitments is part of religion. If you're paid to do work in certain times, it's actually haram to extend 
without permission. So meaning if you have a type of some different people work, if they have a salary and they, they don't mind about the hours that they work and that's different. Right. But if you're getting paid like a nine to five to work certain hours and you go over, right. you say, oh, I was praying. No, in Sharia. Right. That's, you have to pray, but it has to be within that allotted hour. So we are people of principle. And I don't think that we understand how important it is for us to maintain these principles. Or we don't, the, the bigger problem is that we don't actually see them from the religion, which is even a bigger problem. And um, there's so many things that are like this. And I think this is one of the consequences of this idea of a compartmentalized approach to religion, where we speak about the ibadat, but we don't speak about the mu'amalat. We speak about worship, but we don't speak about dealings. We forget, what did our prophet say? Ad-deen al-mu'amalat. It's as if the Prophet is saying, all of the religion is found in dealings. Like a deen and mu'amal. How you interact deans, with others. How you interact with others. And so this is of the utmost, utmost importance. And people are looking at us. And sometimes there's double and even triple stigma with certain individual Muslims in our, in our community. And while we should not have an inferiority complex, while we should not seek approval from anyone uh, other than Allah Jalla Jalla, at the same time we have to realize we're under the microscope. And because of this, we have to be especially careful about everything that we do. First and foremost, we should be doing that for Allah. And this is there to remind us of that, that Allah Ta'ala is the one that we really have to seek. We have to seek His approval, but we also have to be very careful in these societies because you don't want to be a means of distancing someone from the mercy of Allah. We want to bring people close. And maybe just to end the day, there's that other notion, or actually maybe to start the next day, there's tahajjud. And so, do you have any recommendations? Oh, you fast forward from like Bihur all the way to tahajjud? Well, you know, Maghrib is Maghrib. And then well, no, I wouldn't say Maghrib is just Maghrib. I would say, <laughs> if oh, yeah, possible, if possible, try to take, if you can take another break during that, if you can, right. spend 10 minutes before Maghrib or after Maghrib doing those same prayers, Right. that's ideal. The best time to do those morning supplications is around Maghrib, either 10 minutes before or 10 minutes after. If you can't for some reason, it comes in at 4.30, you work until 7 or 8, then you can postpone until you get home. But ideally, it's done around Maghrib. Those are the car for, those, for, for, for the evening. Yes, yes, just as the best time to do them is after Fajr in the morning and then the pain. If you wake up a little bit later on one morning, then you still do them as long as it's considered to be morning. Likewise, Maghrib time is a key time. So the Rising of the sun, the setting of the sun, these two times. These transitions. Worshipping, right. right? This is the ta'aqab of the malaika, the angels are the changing places. And um, this is an ideal time to worship. And so to the extent that we can bring those times to life with worship, it's of a higher quality. It's like sleeping at special times. You actually, It's, it's actually more restful right. than at other times. And then I would say then you can fast forward until the end of the day and take five minutes before you go to bed at night. In those things that were mentioned, and these are these are things actually when, when you were speaking about uh, the, the the five minutes of of muraqaba and muhasaba, like these are things I think you know, we can also implement in like bedtime with your children as sure. well, like where sure. they can yeah remember I mean, like you know yeah. think about what they should be thankful for to Allah for and, and so what's one of the things that we do before we go to bed? We play this game and we we go around and we go like what we each thankful for Allah, and so yeah. So, like, give me an example. What do you, what do you do? Um, 
I'm thankful for Allah for having parents. So we, we go around and we we help each other, remind each other what we should be thankful for. So I thank Allah for, the next one says, I thank Allah for, and I thank Allah for. Hakana. MashaAllah, that's and great. Then we, and try to include one of the stories of the Oliya. MashaAllah. We do a thing with Layla. And so we used to do the Ratha, what to put her to bed. Mm. I think I still get her to go to bed by if I read the Ratha with her. So mm. we read the Ratha with Imam Haddad because, you know, summertime, it was around the Mughal time period. And then before she goes to bed, she always says, uh, Imam, uh, I think it was Sal Tostari, but others have said it, Abdul Qadr Jalani. Allahu Hadru, Allahu Nadru, Allahu Na'i. And that's how, you know, that Allah is uh, is present, that Allah is watching me, and that Allah is with me. Mm-hmm. And that's how we give a, cu- a nice little hug, and that's how we Beautiful. Do that. But Beautiful. it's amazing, like, what the kids retain by mm-hmm. doing things at night, whether it's a little bit of a sewer revisions, if they're doing that. Um, and it could, how long does that take, right? The Ratib is a little bit longer. Yeah. But so saying, that's only that 10, 15 minutes. Maybe, it's yeah. a very short yeah. story is one or two minutes. Yeah. But the key is consistency. Yeah. And you'd be surprised. You forget later on what stories you've told, and then they tell you, oh, no, you've told us. <laughs> and you forget <laughs> what they, the us. details they know. Because I was saying, my so my daughter has her own Tusby collection growing, like her dad. And she's like, Daddy, I, I need that Tusby that has 33. And I said, fine. So we give her the Tusby, and she's about to do her thicker before she goes to bed. And, she, and here she goes, oh, Dad, remember, Allahu Akbar first. Because she's like, remember, there's the other narration before he go to bed that it starts with Allahu Akbar. I was like, oh, okay, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, things are sponges. Changing. Yeah, sponges. sponges. Yeah, it doesn't seem that way sometimes when you're in the thick of it, but when you have moments of that, it's like clarity. You're like, wow. So, so then moving on to the Oh, the Hajj. Let's finish this up. So, waiting, waiting for oh, yeah. the question is about Tahajj. <laughs> so, really, Tahajj is great if someone can do it. It's great. And Tahajj technically is going to sleep and waking up right, in order right. for it to be considered tajud. Qiyam al-layl is just prayer at night. And generally speaking, there's a distinction. Qiyam al-layl is anything you pray before you go to bed, tajud is after bed. What I would say is, at very least, everybody should be praying with tajud. Right. And whether you pray it three together or then two and then one, and ideally adding at least two other rakas. Now, whether that's done before you go to bed, because you don't think you're going to wake up, seasonally or just your habits in general right, right. or whether it's one of those things where you go to bed wake up in the middle of the night pray two rakas yeah it takes you five ten minutes you go back to sleep or whether you sleep and wake up and pray at the latter part of the night and then kind of stay up until closure there's different ways that the salaf used to pray it ideally we would pray at least two rakas either before you go to bed in the middle of the night or in the latter part of the night and so whatever works for someone or it could be that hey on work weeks, excuse me, on work days during the week, this is what I do. And on the weekend, right. second, then this is what I do. So this is a very important principle. It gets back to the nafs. Just because you can't do all of something doesn't mean you leave all of something. So even if someone says, look, it's very hard for you to pray to Hajjit, like once a week, do it on Layla to Juma. You can't do it on Layla to Juma. Do it on the night where you don't have to work the next day. Or if you can't do it any time, try it during Ramadan, or at least the last 10 days of Ramadan. Develop habits. And this is where you'll realize, subhanAllah, there's just certain things that people do. And again, back to this idea of one act being so, what did our Prophet say? That I hear the scraping of the sandals of Bilal in paradise. <laughs> what did he do? Every time he makes a do, he prays to Arakas. Yeah. Now, you make making do several times a day, but that's, again, it's a means for him to enter into paradise, subhanAllah. Right. Little things mean a lot. 
Yes. And so even if someone said, look, I'm going to have a habit where the last 10 days of Ramadan, I can't pray to Hajjah throughout the rest of the year, but the last 10 days of Ramadan, I'm definitely praying to Hajjah. Allahu Akbar. Meet Allah doing that every single year until you're old. Even if you are in bed, bedridden, you can't even move your eyelids. You imagine that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm often thought about it. Worship your Lord until death comes to you. Yeah, mashallah. Well, I think that that was a really beautiful sort of going through the the day in in a in a very practical way. And I want to thank uh, Sheikh Yahya and and his boys here who are with us uh, for uh, sharing some of their routines with us. I think it's definitely beneficial for me. It's something that I want to incorporate, and um, I'm sure it will be beneficial for our listeners as well. Uh, so I want to thank thank you, Sheikh Yahya, for um, taking the time and being with us for that. And Irfan, thanks again for for uh, for coming on, and to our listeners. Uh, please uh, remember to give us your feedback. Uh, send us uh, your feedback at imanwired.org. Uh, you could tweet uh, at us at, uh, at imanwired. And uh, please sure to give us um, a five-star rating in iTunes and share the podcast with friends and family. That really helps get out to um, a bigger audience uh, who may benefit. And until then, we'll see you the next time. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be unto you.